This podcast is brought to you by the Accredited Snow Contractors Association. With industry standards-based certification, a discounted insurance program, networking events, and legislative efforts that strengthen the professional snow and ice management industry, your ASCA membership never stops working for you. Join today at ASCAonline.org. Mike Zawacki, editor of Snow Magazine. Recently, I jumped at the chance to land Joe Kajawa as a podcast guest. Up until just a few weeks ago, he was the second-generation leader of a powerhouse family-owned landscape and snow removal company operating in southeastern Wisconsin. The Kajawa family recently agreed to sell their business to the upstart Sperber Landscape Companies, and Joe is taking a wealth of operational, logistics, and industry knowledge into a new career as a business consultant. He recently added his name to the Bruce Wilson and Company shingle, and I imagine his consulting calendar will soon be full. Joe, who is a 2016 Leadership Award recipient, has also agreed to become a Snow Magazine contributing editor. So be on the lookout for his byline in the pages of upcoming issues and through our various online formats. But today, Joe and I talk about the successes and challenges of the last year and what's led him to the next leg of his personal and professional journey. season this past winter the predictions were for a mild and uneventful winter for for your region there in in southeastern Wisconsin and it turned out to be anything but uh, I believe you guys had a record-breaking winter in both uh, snow and and cold temperatures and I wanted to know how did that challenge you on an operations side how did that how did that challenge KEI to keep up with that and to to battle the elements like that well, we did, you know, it started out very mild and uneventful, uh, other than we had a little early. We only had about seven or eight inches in the November, December time frame. And then we ended up the season with over 52 inches, I believe it was. Uh, and all of that started the second week of January, and it just kept going and going and going. And operationally, it, it was um, challenging in that, not only did we have to keep it going, it was, you know, nonstop and not just small ones. It was big events, one after the other after the other, uh, and keeping the morale of our people up, keeping our equipment running, and, and all those day-to-day things. But then we had to think about how is this impacting our landscape business because we used those winter months to kind of do our winter campaign and prepare and do some things in the off-season for the maintenance business. So we were trying, struggling not only with getting the snow taken care of, but making sure we weren't starting out with uh, in a hole for our landscape season as well. Mm-hmm. Did this test your limits? I mean, in your years in this industry, had you experienced anything like that where it was so intense so quickly and for kind of a prolonged period of time? Uh, there's only in the 15 years I've been 
active in KEI. There was one other winter that was like this. We ended up getting 110 inches that summer or that season. And that was crazy, too. Mm -hmm. (laughs) That that was nonstop. Um, I guess one of the things that really challenged us is, you know, relying back on having sure or let me start the door. One of the things that helped us was that we were able to rely on the systems and the processes that we had in place, that, that we had been maintaining our equipment and it was ready to go for winter, um, that we had um, procedures for when there were breakdowns, what were the backups, what was the, the service call mentality going to be, and that we had developed a strong list of subcontractors that we work with on a regular basis that if we weren't able to get there, you know, we were working as a team and we could draw on them as well, not only for what they'd been contracted for, but for additional work as needed. Uh, And then also when they had problems, we were able to fill in for them. So it really became a a unified team of, you know, all of us working together, our subs and KEI is one one whole team and not just, well, an us and them kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, speaking of uh, labor, you know, when you're being, when you're hearing and, and starting to experience early on that it's going to be a mild winter, did this impact how you were staffing yourself for the winter, especially in this, in, in this um, economic environment where it's impossible to find um, people who will do hourly work anymore. Um, how did you, did you, did you face that sort of a challenge? And if so, how did you overcome that, especially once winter really kicked in? Well, labor is always a challenge, uh, both in, in summer and in winter. And what we are able to do through the, the years we've been in business and built a company with a culture that really values its employees, we have very low turnover. And so what we do get is our summer employees work straight through and into the winter. Now, they will get laid off if there's no snow, and, you know, they'll sit back and collect unemployment, and they don't actually have to go look for the job because they're on a temporary layoff, Mm -hmm. which means that they're available for us. The other thing that helped us is we are able to keep them engaged through the winter and then bring them back in the summer right away. So even though it was a mild winter, we always staff for our workload. We, We staff for the budget, meaning that we know we've signed these contracts, we need to be able to deliver these in, in the timely manner to provide service to them, and what's the staff we need for that. We don't go on the prediction of best-case scenario or worst-case scenario, I guess, depending for labor, which is, you know, well, how much are we going to need them? We budget our labor based on what contracts we sold and assuming an average winter. Mm-hmm. So even though it's predicted to be mild, that's not what we staff for. We staff to be able to deliver the service to our clients that they expect when it actually does snow. Mm-hmm. Tell me a little bit about how this may have challenged you with regard to how you were communicating and dealing with your clients. Uh, did this type of winter uh, expose any sorts of shortcomings on that end, and how may have you uh, changed or altered your approach or inter- interaction with clients who, you know, they're all demanding the services, and when you're getting so many back-to-back and intense sort of events, uh, th- this must challenge your ability to, you know, service everybody how they feel they need to be serviced. It it does, but that's what we staff for, and that's what we plan for. Communication is absolutely key with all of our clients, both, uh, you know, pre-event, post-event, during the event, letting them know whether it's via email, text, or telephone, or one-on-one conversations with them on site, 
that type of thing is is priceless and is the most important thing that we have going for us. I guess we're lucky in Milwaukee, the Midwest, we're, we're, we're kind people, we're generous people, and most of our, our clients realize, oh my God, these guys are out there, they're working their butts off. I can see that they're they're trying and they're, they're doing it. It's winter, let's cut them, not cut them slack, but their understanding of what it was. We don't really have many clients, not all, but we don't have many clients that have unreasonable expectations of us. You know, I think part of that goes into your client selection and what kind of client you want to work for. And, you know, we, we call that the cost of sale on some of them. Like if this guy is, you know, has very unreasonable expectations, at some point we look at that and justify and say, do we really want to continue doing business with this client? Now, we're all for high expectations, but, you know, there's sometimes where, I mean, I've had a client in, in the middle of a, not this year, but in that 110-inch blizzard year or 110-inch snow year, that they have, you know, been sitting on a, a, a building downtown looking around their whole block and standing on the, you know, the top floor looking and saying, I can see these guys. They're not, sta- they're just standing there. Why aren't they shoveling? You know, it's been a nine-hour event. They've been there since five in the morning shoveling in heavy, wet, blizzardy snow conditions. I'm guessing they're just taking a, a moment to breathe here, you know? <laughs> and so we have some of those clients, but really I think the people up here, are you're, you're applying, you're working, you're keeping the lanes open, you're keeping the sidewalk safe. You know, I realize it's not going to look like August until the event is over. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so we're good with that. Well, you know, you guys made headlines in uh, on May 1st when it was announced that you guys were merging with uh, uh, the Sperber Group. It came kind of a shock because you guys are really well-known, well thought of family-owned business in in both the snow and the lawn side. I want you to take me back a little bit because on this past October, your family experienced a a horrible loss, the loss of your son, Jack. What was your, where was your mind at the start of 2019 after that, after you're dealing with that? How does one focus on a business after dealing with such a tragic loss? It's really hard. Uh, I'm not going to lie about that. And I still struggle. This last weekend was would have been his high school graduation, and mm-hmm. I was not all that useful in the office uh, last week. Mm-hmm. I, you know, we, and I'm going to mumble through this one, when we started the process of selling, it, it really came as a shock to us, too, because we weren't looking to sell. We had no need to sell. Mm-hmm. And some people, we actually had two companies within one week, not brokers, but actual companies, come to us, one in my door and one called me personally on the phone, to ask if we would be interested in selling our business. The timing of it, and it was about a year ago today, actually, was just blew me away that two in one week. I mean, we always had gotten broker letters, but, you know, everyone gets those, and it's not really the same thing. So we sat down as a family and talked about it, and as we were going through it, a couple of things came up. And I think most importantly was there's no fourth generation behind us coming to take over the business. My mm-hmm. brother and I are running it now, mm-hmm. and none of our children have that desire um, to be in the landscape industry or to, to run a business like this. So that was one one aspect of it. My parents, now my dad's 87, uh, is, you know, they were looking to get some of their equity out of the business and into the estate. Sure. My, my sister's husband, who works here or worked here, had just been diagnosed with pancreatic cancer, and we knew that wasn't going to end well. So this gave her some financial security, my parents the opportunity to move money out, and my brother and I to stay on and, you know, reap some sort of a reward now and then continue and work, which I had planned on doing. Right after we had gotten 
um, the letters of intent is when my son died. Mm-hmm. So we were in the process of scheduling interviews with companies uh, when when Jack died. So that I put everything on hold for like three weeks, and and then you know we've continued with it. It was after he died. Those three weeks, I, I wasn't in the office. Mm-hmm. I, I just it, it was too hard for me. I, or I would come in and I would sit and stare at a wall, and I would just. You know, it was very difficult to focus and run a business, and I'm so glad and um, that we had such a strong team here at KEI that was able to give me that freedom to take the time I needed to, to process what I was going through. Yeah. My brother, my sister, my whole family, and, and the whole extended family at KEI really stood up and uh, stepped up as well. Mm-hmm. So I, I was very honored with that, very mm-hmm. blessed. Was there any um, time there that you were even considering yourself like, you know, I, um, you know, we're going through this process. Uh, maybe I'm going to get out of this. I need to get out of this altogether. Well, it, it was, you know, it was interesting. Originally, we, I had planned on staying. I was, I was flexible. I was like, right. I'll stay on, or I, before Jack passed, mm-hmm. I, I'll stay on, or I will. Uh, go out, whatever makes sense for the business and the, the sale of the company and all that kind of stuff. And then after Jack passed, it was, you know what, I do not want to run a business day today anymore. I, I, life, you, you, you go through the assessment of, you know, your life and what you want to do, what you can do. And I said, I, I want to stay on for a transition. I want to make this successful. I want to stay on in as long as I can in a different role. If you know, getting back to when I first came to the company, I was an internal consultant. Mm-hmm. I worked fully just on the business and I really wasn't in the day to day operations. Over the years I got more and more involved in the internal day to day stuff. And so this was kinda like a, a, a shock stop and it was like, you know, I really want to go back to what I was doing. Mm-hmm. Consulting, helping solve problems, figure out one thing, move to the next, figure out that, move to the next. Um, and not so much in the day-to-day of, well, what kind of equipment should we be buying, and do we, you know, how do we want to do this or how to do that, or are we routing this guy that way or this way? I, I was looking at bigger-picture items is what I, I found interesting. I enjoyed training. So those were the things I said, how can I do that? And I decided that I would stay on as a strategic advisor with KEI, which I still am, mm-hmm. and then to pursue industry consulting outside of it. Okay. Um, and, and so that's what I'm doing now. So now I'm part-time with KEI, and I'm part-time um, doing outside consulting for both the snow industry and the green industry. I, I'm working with Bruce Wilson and Company, mm-hmm. which is a, a great organization. I, I really respect Bruce. We've used him at KEI for decades. When this opportunity presented itself I, I, of selling, I, I talked to Bruce to see if he might have an opportunity for me to join his stable or you know, become part of his team. We discussed it, and I think it worked out really well. So I'm joining them as a practice leader and senior facilitator. I'm going to be focusing on snow industry clients and family-owned businesses. And I'm also going to be working to develop their peer group education events, um, something that I found great value in as our company was a member of a peer group and what our team was able to get from them. So that's what I'm going to be doing with them. Um, I'm really looking forward to it. It's a great team of people, all with their own areas of expertise and backgrounds 
so it really provides uh, an exciting team to be a part of mm-hmm. because we're not all the same. You know, and there's that, that difference and that variety and different experiences that we can bounce ideas off of each other. Let's go back to the, um, to the, the sale of the company for a moment. When you were going through this process, uh, there's a lot of due diligence that needs to be done on both sides. What did you find to be the most, maybe the most shocking or interesting thing you learned about your company uh, that you didn't know? before going into this process? You know, it's interesting. I think the one thing working with uh, the peer group, our peer group, we'd always done benchmarking on an annual mm-hmm. basis. When I looked at it, I was like, okay, we were never the top performer in our peer group. You know, and it was just kind of like, hmm. When I went through due diligence and started looking at all the management ad backs, all the things that we as a family had received as a benefit from it, uh, you know, the landscape services at our individual homes, vehicles, whatever it was. I was like, wow, we really have a profitable company here. I didn't realize you know, <laughs> so how much benefit as a, as, a, as a family owner that we were able to take out of our, our, our business and, you know, to do that really had uh, an impact. And, and, you know, now as I go forward and I'm like paying for my landscape services, I, I, you know, I appreciate being an owner a little bit more. You know, some of those things that we just took for granted or that were small and, you know, I didn't have to worry about, and now I do. It's. Uh, you mean you couldn't have negotiated free landscaping into the sale? <laughs> well, I can't talk about the specific details of what's happening. <laughs> What did but you, it, it, is, it is interesting, you know. I, uh-huh. you know, I used to. Have, I don't want to get in trouble with the IRS either, so I won't go into many of those things. But sure. Um, when you were going through that process as well, uh, anything that you looked, did you look internally at yourself and say, you know, I know I'm stepping away from this. God, I wish I would have had the time to have done this or implement this, or it would have been great to have grown into this market, you know, and any regrets that you look back and say, and, and wish you would have been able to add? I don't like regrets. Uh, I'm, I'm kind of a guy who likes to, you know, live for the day and, and take it on and, and, and go with it. Um, but I do, you know, there are things that I look at as projects that I would have, I didn't really identify until we were going through the due diligence process. Cause I was perhaps at the end of my, at, you know, as we've gotten closer to that, um, and I was more and more in the day to day, I wasn't having that higher that thirty thousand foot view, mm-hmm. and so they were, I was losing. Hey, this is something good that we could be doing on, and there's a great opportunity here. And I it, it had gotten masked by the day to day activities, and when I got pulled out of the day to day to work on the due diligence, there were opportunities and analysis that I was doing, or that the other team was doing and saying, like, wow, I wish I would have done that five years ago. I'd be in an even better position right now, mm-hmm. um, you know, in terms of some of the market analysis, of client analysis, um, you know, service analysis, where, you know, really getting into the, the fine-grade details of the profitability and, you know, comparing this type versus that type. Mm-hmm. Well, that's really interesting that you bring that up because I think it begs that uh, conundrum that a lot of business leaders, whether they're an owner or like yourself, part of a leadership team, in maintaining that 30,000 foot view and that dilemma of how do I work in the business but also work on the business at the same time. And sometimes that has to be a, a, a very dramatic split between those two duties. And, and we were very lucky 
um, and that my brother and I, you know, not, I don't want to say each took one role because it wasn't exactly like that, but, you know, we, I think we did work a lot on our company. Even as I got involved into the day-to-day, we were still actively involved in uh, a peer group for, for our business, um, which I think is a great way to stay working on companies as opposed to in them because it really forces you to get out of your day-to-day, to think about things from a strategic level, to be challenged by your peers from other companies who are you know, similar to yours. For me, that was some of the most rewarding work and challenging and stimulating work we did was when I would go to a peer group meeting and be challenged by other owners of these companies that I had developed a relationship with and had understood what their businesses were, and they understood mine and could, could kind of punch back and you know, poke, poke the envelope to see where it was actually going to come out. I found that really useful. And then I think also we're big proponents of using consultants. We used financial consultants. We used um, planning consultants because you do fall into your old habits. And when you bring someone else on outside that you're paying them money to do this, you pay attention to it and you you make sure that X gets done because you don't want to just waste your money. And and so, you know, finding a, a, a consultant or consultants that you're comfortable with I think is really critical. And that may sound a little self-serving, but <laughs> well, I do think it was... That begs the question, though, that now that you are entering that stage of your career, almost like career 3.0 for you, correct? Because you had kind of struck out on your own uh, and didn't go immediately into the family business and then came back to it, correct? Well, yeah. It's, you know, I've had a lifetime of being in a family business. About 15 of those years were actually actively involved in the management of it. Mm-hmm. But prior to that, I was a, a management consultant. Um, I worked with Fortune 500 companies and, and went and looked at how to operationalize strategy, how to develop strategy, um, and, and really implement new process, redesign new processes and new procedures, You know, defined roles and responsibilities, all those kinds of things that when I came to KEI were incredibly helpful to us. Mm-hmm. And my brother and I used to joke, he goes, we're not IBM. And I'm like, no, but there's no reason we can't benefit from some of the things they've figured out because, <laughs> really? you know, they got big enough using them. Maybe we could try a couple of them. You know? At the very least, not make the same mistakes. <laughs> right, right. Well, and, you know what? For, for being somebody who has was a huge proponent of using consultants to help guide and grow the business, how has this influenced maybe your philosophy or approach to becoming a consultant? Well, I think what's interesting is so many people in our industry have gotten here because they started in high school or they started in college. It was just maybe a summer job. And they don't have that business background. And, you know, they they got into it because they love the work and they love the people and, you know, working outside, whatever it was. And they perhaps aren't experts on, you know, building a culture or analyzing financial statements or they don't have a, a business background. They might have more of a you know a mechanical or a horticultural background. And I think that's what a consultant can do is is strengthen up your uh, your weak areas. You can you can hire that expertise to help you out. So you you can't be master of all trades. I mean mm-hmm. you, you can't know them all. And so if you bring someone in who's got an expertise that can help you, not only do the consultants provide you time. I mean you're. you're that for just to get more stuff done for you, they bring that expertise. And that is, when I was in consulting prior to the landscape industry, that is what I loved about it. It was, 
we would go in, we would find a problem, we would solve the problem, or the problem had been identified perhaps by the client, like why is this you know hassle taking me so much? Mm-hmm. You, 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 you then, but you have to actually identify it and document it and figure out well what really is the problem, or, or they, they were just complaining about the symptom, and you need to find what the problem is, and then figure out a way to solve that and implement that solution. For me, that was very rewarding work that I did. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I got here, I was like, there's some good consultants in this industry. And, you know, I think that those companies that use them tend to be your smarter, better companies, more profitable, more successful. And, and I really enjoy helping other people, and I really enjoy solving problems. Uh, you know, my original degree was in architecture, and we used to, when I went to business school, I laughed that, well, you know, I spent all these years being trained as a professional problem, a creative problem solver. Mm-hmm. And that's you know, what I did. Mm-hmm. And it, it is proven to be true that you can look at things in different ways. And, and too often a company gets into this group think and only thinks about the things they've always thought about and in the ways they've only thought about them. And bringing in that outside set of eyes can really make a difference to, to really help you hockey stick growth, help you, you know, change how you want to do something and change that arc and curve of, of where things are going for your company. Mm-hmm. As you've been preparing yourself to enter this world of being a, a consultant, um, have you had to do uh, due diligence on Joe Kajawa to find out where your strengths lie and, and where your, your value to the client really is? Well, I think so, and um, definitely. I, I believe that um, you know my background is, is, is kind of unique in the industry, and the time that I've gotten to know people in mm-hmm. this industry, it's, I'm the only one like me. And I, you know, <laughs> I, I grew up in a family business. I left it. I, I was working for the marketing department. I was trained as an architect. I worked in the marketing department of the world's largest architectural engineering firm and, and managed uh, a $21 million office for them in terms of their marketing. And then I went to business school and, you know, built upon that, that design aspect and, and looked at organizational design, looked at operational design, um, and, and kind of HR. On the, those, those were the two areas I focused on. When I got into consulting, I, you know, I built again on those with, with different companies. And then when I came to KEI, that's what I did. And I came here and I reorganized our, our, our structure. We looked at roles and responsibilities and position descriptions and me- metrics to, to judge uh, the performance on. We looked at um, how our operations were working, what technology we needed, how we could you know, really align our people, the processes we had, and the technology we were using. And go through. Okay, well, what did I? What have I done that I think other companies could benefit from? Mm-hmm. And so when I look at that, that's how when working with Bruce, we came up with. Okay, family businesses—they're very different. I've worked in family businesses and non-family businesses, and I've talked with people on both sides. There are unique challenges to uh, working in a family business. You know, in, in the Bruce Wilson company, there are. You know, my background in snow is is very unique to to. Um, the team. And, you know, we have been recognized as one of the top snow companies. I've had the honor of being uh, recognized with your your leadership award. Mm -hmm. And I think that brings another level. So I think working with snow companies, again, snow companies are different than landscape companies. Mm -hmm. And there are also companies that are snow and landscape companies that are different still. 
Um, so I bring some of that knowledge that I think people can benefit from or that I can use to try and help you uh, or help others with. I really like how you described back in your architectural days that you were really training to be a creative problem solver. And I think that that is what a lot of of companies, small businesses, sometimes lack because the majority, in my opinion, I've I've seen that the majority of uh, small business owners really don't need to learn any more about pushing snow or mowing grass. What they need to do is learn more about how to assess their their business needs. And there's a real need for those creative problem solvers because no business is, is alike. No two businesses are alike. They're going mm-hmm. to every every situation you you enter, it's going to be a different challenge. You know, maybe a little bit of the same, but those solutions are never going to be identical. I, I agree. And here's a dirty little secret: I have never mowed a lawn in my life. Oh no! <laughs> and I, I can I have shoveled and I have used a snowblower. I've never plowed anything in my life because growing up we didn't even have a yard, uh-huh. and then. Then went through all my various places I've lived, you know, it was either in an apartment or a condo or something that we didn't have to take care of the lawn. And then when we moved to Milwaukee, well, I had KEI take care of it. So, <laughs> but I do, and to your point, and the reason I say that is to your point, there are people who know how to mow, how to plow, how to apply salt, all those things, how to calculate the, the appropriate brine com- concoction. Mm-hmm. That's not me. If you if you need someone to help you with that, that's not me. But I'm someone who can help you look at your business as a business, not as a landscape company or whatever. It's it's how do you grow your business? How do you make your business stronger? And I think one thing as an industry we don't do as well is look to other industries for lessons learned, for innovation, for bringing new things on board or as you said, you know, don't make the same mistakes other companies have made. And I think that's what we can really do differently to help grow our, our companies. Okay, to wind this up, let me. I want to know from you, as you close this chapter of your life and start a new one, what, in your opinion, is the best thing about working inside a family business? I think the best thing in a family business is the people and the trust inherent in that. I've heard too many stories of people who have had a partner or an employee who's embezzled from them or gone out and done something uh, that, you know, unaware, however. I never had the fear that my brother was going to be stealing money from me. Mm-hmm. I never had the fear that my mom and dad were going to play politics with me and try and, you know, pitch you out against your brother. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, exactly. And it was that inherent level of trust. I would say the worst thing is growing up with each other, you always knew which button to push if you wanted to get someone activated. And so you have to be very careful about doing that and fall, you know, and keeping that separate. But I loved working with my family. I, I said when I moved back to, to Milwaukee, I said the best part is I have breakfast with my wife, I have uh, lunch with my dad, and I have dinner with my family. And when I was in management consulting, that wasn't the case. Mm-hmm. I've been so blessed to, for the last 15 years to have lunch with my dad almost every day of the week. And, you know, many days with my brother, my sister, my mom, other family members. And that is a treasure that, as, as, as I look at with Jack's passing, I'm very glad that I have had the time with my family that I've had.